Today's scripture is from Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's pray. Jesus, we, we love you, and we are so thankful that we get to gather this morning as your people, and as Allison prayed, unified by your spirit, able to walk in step with your spirit. We ask now, Lord, that as we hear your word, your voice to us, you speaking to us, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would not leave here today unchanged, but changed people more and more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. I would pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jake. I'm part of the team. I'm the pastor at Christ City East Vancouver who gathers in the afternoon here. Uh, thanks for letting us use your space. We really appreciate it. Uh, this morning, uh, we're continuing in our series in Proverbs. I uh, look at the topic of speech, the words we say, like talking. Uh, that's our topic this morning. And in case you're wondering uh, whether speech is a worthy topic to spend a Sunday on, uh, let me begin today by sketching... A brief history of speech. A brief history of speech. God spoke and everything we see was brought into existence. He spoke and all of creation came to be. He looked at his creation, he looked at you and me, and he said the words, it is good. He spoke. By speaking, not only did God speak this world into existence, but we're told in Hebrews 1 that by speaking, this whole thing, you and me, uh, molecule to molecule, atom to atom, we all hold together because he says so. Because he makes it so by the very power of his word. By speaking, uh, the serpent tempted Adam and Eve away from God. All of human history forever changed because words were spoken and words were believed. By speaking, God reveals his plan to rescue wayward humanity through people throughout the ages. By speaking. And it is as we speak the good news of God's rescue in Jesus this morning and into the week, and as people believe on that good news for which we speak, that they cross over from death into life. It's a brief history of speech for you. Solomon, I don't think, is being dramatic when he says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. But maybe you reject the story I just told. Maybe the history that I laid out for you is not one that you're comfortable with. I think regardless this morning, regardless of our beliefs and backgrounds, I think to a lesser degree, I think we can acknowledge that what Solomon is saying is true. And if you don't believe me, Consider the cautionary tale of Justine Seiko. Maybe you heard this story from 2013, so it's a bit old. Uh, Justine Seiko. Uh, Justine Seiko was the director of communications uh, for an internet company called IAC. I actually don't know what IAC does. I just know it's an internet company, which I don't know what that means, but it's an internet company. She was the director of corporate communications for IAC. Uh, She's from South Africa. She was working in New York, and she decided uh, Christmas of 2013, she's going to fly home uh, to her family in South Africa. She gets on a plane. She's sitting uh, first class, and you know, she has a good thought. She says, I'm going to tweet. I'm going to tweet. You know, people haven't heard from me in a while. I- I'm going to tweet out sort of my experience here. So she has 170 followers, and she starts out rather harmlessly enough. 
She says this. Weird German dude. Sorry, Germans. Uh, you're in first class. It's 2014. Get some deodorant. Inner, mile, inner monologue as I inhale BO. Thank God for pharmaceuticals. Seiko touches down in London's Heathrow Airport for a layover and again thinks it's a good time to tweet. She writes, Chili, uh, cucumber sandwiches, bad teeth, back in London. Finally, before her final push to Cape Town, she tweets this. Going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. Seiko shuts off her phone. She boards the plane and is blissfully ignorant for the duration of her 11-hour flight. When she does arrive in Cape Town and turns her phone on, she discovers that she is the number one worldwide topic trending on Twitter. Literally millions of people are talking about her and that last tweet she sent out. Tweets of outrage over her words flood the internet, uh, many of which expressing this sentiment. All I want for Christmas is to see at Justine Seiko's face when her plane lands and she checks her inbox slash voicemail. The hashtag, has Justine landed yet, uh, took over. A reporter waiting for her in South Africa notices her uh, trying to disguise her face uh, with sunglasses and snaps a picture. When Justine gets home to her family, her family who had been active supporters of Nelson Mandela and his party, they look at her in disgust. Her trip home for Christmas is cut short. She was promptly fired from IAC upon her return to New York and was harassed and threatened online until the news cycle passed. I'm sure Justine Seiko would agree, and I'm sure we would all agree as well. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. See, despite how the playground proverb goes, uh, sticks and stones may, may break my bones, you know this, right? But, but words will never hurt me. What we come to learn in life is that the exact opposite is true, isn't it? Uh, Derek Kidner, he's a commentator working in Proverbs. He, he says this, What is done to you is of little account besides what is done in you. And isn't that true? Like, give me sticks and stones, just don't give me a critical email. Now, give me sticks and stones, just, just don't talk poorly about my, my, my family or myself. We all can agree words have tremendous power, both for good and for evil, which makes it all the more important that this morning we see what Proverbs has to say about the topics of speech and listening. Speaking and listening, if you're taking notes, really simple outline this morning. Speaking, listening, and the heart of the matter. Ready? Yeah? We're good? Okay. First, speaking, speaking. You might be surprised to learn that Proverbs has more to say about speaking and the words we say, uh, than any other topic, than any other topic, more than money, uh, more than sex, more than power, more than friendship, uh, more than work. Proverbs and the authors of Proverbs want to talk about the words that we say. Uh, you, one commentator counted that there are about 90 Proverbs, 90 Proverbs related to how we speak. So if you just want to strap in for a second, we're just going to look at all of those right now. Right? No, because I love you and I care about you and East Vancouver has to gather here in the afternoon, we won't do that. So I want us to ask some, some framing questions of this topic of speech this morning. And the first question is this. Who do we speak to? Who, who do we speak to? Now, that might sound like a strange question. You're like, I, I, I speak to other people, I, I think, ho hopefully. 
Like, given uh, for a moment that you speak to other people, right, even us introverts painfully at times speak to other people, uh, we don't only speak to other people, right? We don't only have a conversation with other humans, right? The Bible assumes that there is a conversation that happens that does not involve other people, that does not involve uh, uh, or happen externally. The Bible assumes that you and I, on a daily basis, are having this, this inner dialogue, this inner conversation. And it's a conversation, according to Proverbs, that is either framed and filled with this idea of the fear of the Lord that we saw early on in our series. It's either framed and filled with the fear of the Lord, or it's a conversation that has been hijacked by a different prevailing voice. Listen to how Solomon instructs the youth in Proverbs 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, look at this, they will talk with you. God's good commandments will will talk with you. There'll be a dialogue taking place there. And so here's a question really early on this morning. Christ City, who are you talking with in your head? What does that conversation look like? The reality is, some of us have had things spoken to us or about us that have stuck with us, right? That inform our, our every decision. Now, Proverbs 12 says that there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. And we felt that. We, we, we know that. Like thrusts of the sword, we are stabbed over and over again. We screw up, I'm stupid. Or I don't deserve this anyways. Or you know, I'm going to end up alone. It never works out for me. And this is your inner conversation. The cure this morning to this violence that we do to ourselves, that happens inside of our heads, is not to simply talk more positively about yourself but rather to hear what is true about yourself in Jesus because of what Jesus has done. See, if we're to skip ahead to the New Testament, Solomon isn't the only one who assumes that we're having some sort of inner dialogue. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, he says this, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This is this external element, this external conversation. But then look at this. And... And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Meaning, in other words, we are to speak back to ourselves the truth of who we are now in Jesus. Wrapped up in Jesus. Found in him. United with him. We're to speak that truth back to ourselves. See, positive self-talk works, right? Like, I'm not stupid until I do something really stupid. And then, I guess I'm stupid. Right? Positive self-talk works up until a point we do something stupid or, or, or until we fail. We have to go deeper than simply propping ourselves up. We need to speak the truth to ourselves that we have died and been raised with Jesus and our life is now hidden in him. It's hidden in him. So am I a complete idiot? Yes. Yes. Are you a complete idiot? I don't know some of you, but I'm going to assume yes. We're complete idiots, yet Jesus died for us. And Jesus calls us his own. And guess what? If you're a Christian this morning, he's changing you. 
And he's forming you into his likeness. Let me ask again, Christ City, what does your internal dialogue sound like? And if I can push even further, does it sound like that because you're indulging these voices? Because you're giving them priority in your life over and above the voice of Jesus. See, in asking the question, who are we speaking to? In Proverbs, we learn who we are to not speak with. Who we're not to speak with. In Solomon's preamble, I'm I'm sure Brett showed you this, uh, uh, Proverbs 1 through 9, we have this contrast between Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. Lady Folly, Lady Wisdom, two houses. One is the rich, luxurious palace of Lady Wisdom. We want to dwell there. The other of Lady Folly is this like sort of decrepit house that just leads to death and all things bad. We do not want to dwell there. La- Lady Wisdom, La- Lady-, Lady Folly. And, and two of Lady Folly's uh, best tricks or, or best moves or, or go-to temptations, if you will, are these things. Easy money and easy sex. Easy money and easy sex. Those are two things that she loves she, she loves to, to present to, to the impressionable youth. Now, I don't know about you, but, but easy money and easy sex don't always come out and say, hey, I'm easy money, or like, hey, I, 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 I'm easy sex. No, no, no. How do they present themselves? Like, this is what you deserve. This is what will fulfill your, your, your desires. You're, you're lonely? Come here. Right, right? You need a little bit more? Come, c- come here. Right? And enjoy this. They speak to us in this sort of language. And so listen to how Solomon describes Lady Folly, this adulteress calling out to the youth. Look at Proverbs 7, verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Christ City, uh, there are some conversations not worth having, like not worth in- indulging. Some situations we should not put ourselves in, and yet we do it time and time again, addicted to that sweet, seductive voice of Lady Folly. And, and it's not just seductive speech that we listen to. Proverbs 17.4 says, an, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Mischievous lips, spewing gossip and hatred and, and deception. These people, Christ City, are not to be our conversation partners. Because in Proverbs, and we just saw this in, in chapter 7, there's this direct connection between being lured by speech or being brought into this speech and this language. There's a direct connection between this speech and, and death and dying. Like an ox to the slaughter, Solomon says. An arrow pierced deer. A bird in a snare. We are to speak to ourselves the truth of who we are in Christ all the time. We have to be doing that all the time, not lingering or listening to the sweet and seductive words we so often encounter. But here's the point. We actually can't talk to ourselves forever. As much as as the other introverts and and me would love to do that, just have conversations with ourselves all the time, uh, we can't. So the question now is, what sort of words am I to say to other people? What, What sort of words am I to say to other people? 
Keeping in mind there are, like I said, over 90 Proverbs dealing with the topic of speech. Uh, Here's just a sampling, a a little taste, a nibble, if you will, of the sorts of words we are to speak to other people. We are to speak, Proverbs 8, 7 says, honest words. Honest words. For my mouth will utter truth, Solomon writes. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. The advent of social media like, brings a whole new dimension to this command, doesn't it? Is your online presence geared towards lying to others about the greatness of your life, the fantasticness of your family, the happiness you enjoy? Is it geared towards lying about those things? Do you say out of your mouth, with your keyboard, with your touch screen, what is true? Do you say what is true? We're to say honest words. We are to speak, Proverbs 15, 1 says, gentle words. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We all know the situations, uh, perhaps if you're married here, you've been in it maybe this morning, where we have these choices to make, right? That there's heated conflict, and we have an opportunity either to pour gasoline on the fire, but, but by kind of like snapping back, right? And, and, and answering harshly and aggressively, or... Or we could just stop the whole thing, get over with, move on, begin reconciling with a soft answer, a gentle word. Now, don't mistake speaking gently for being a pushover, because we'll see later that we are at times even to say hard words to one another. Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The church is not to be a mutual uh, admiration society. You look great today. No, you look great today. Oh, you're the best. No, no you're, you're the best. Like, th- that's not the church supposed to be. There's a place of sort of like self-congratulation. We are to speak hard and difficult things to one another. And to give you a great example of this, remember uh, in Galatians, Peter is, is removing himself from the Gentiles. He's not sitting with them anymore. He's created a barrier between them. And Paul comes and says a hard word to Peter. It says in Galatians that Paul confronted Peter. Now, now not only did Peter benefit from those hard words from a friend, those those aggressive words, but but needed words, but the whole church benefited from that. We're to speak hard words. We're to speak thoughtful words. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. We are to speak thoughtful words. Now, I don't know if you're already like, oh, and you're dying. But if you're like me this week, I, I, I'm dying right now, right? Like, I, sometimes I just start talking, and I don't even know where it's going. But let's see where this ends up, right? The opposite of thoughtful words, right? We're to speak thoughtful words. Finally, again, this is just a sampling. We're to speak timely words. Proverbs 15.23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Growing in wisdom and righteousness means not only knowing what to speak, but, but when to speak it. Again, ooh, this is just me, maybe it's just me. All these ways of speaking, honestly, gently, boldly, timely, and more, are all, are all a part of what it means to speak righteously to one another. Remember that definition? Righteousness in Proverbs is the disadvantaging of self in order to advantage another. That's what's happening with our speech. 
with our speech, are we disadvantaging ourselves in order to, to, to empower or to advantage another person? See, what prevents us from speaking this way, this way I just described, is that this costs us something. This disadvantages us, doesn't it? Like, why speak honestly when I could lose my job? When people in the office might not like me as much as I'd like them to. Why speak gently when there's a chance that that gentle speak could be misinterpreted as weakness? Why say a hard thing to a friend when it's so much easier, isn't it, to not say anything at all? Just let it slide. What if they don't respond well? Will this ruin our, our vacation plans together? Why speak thoughtfully and risk not having my opinion be the loudest? And why speak a timely word when it is so much easier and and much less work to just give general, vague, non-situational, specific advice? It costs us. The task of speaking righteously in Proverbs seems daunting and overwhelming until, that is, we compare it with the task of, of listening in Proverbs. See, in Proverbs, listening always comes before speaking. Always comes before speaking. In Proverbs 2, we find that the father, together with the mother, together they're speaking wisdom and instruction to their impressionable son, this impressionable youth. And they're laying a foundation for him. Look look at their words with me. Proverbs 2, 1 to 5. My son, if you receive my words... And treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Righteous speech in this life begins with making our ears attentive to wisdom and inclining our hearts to understanding. And when we really consider this picture of a parent speaking to a child, we realize that this will take from us a hefty dose of humility, right? Of of humility. Because you know who doesn't listen? Who doesn't listen? Someone who's got it all figured out. Someone who doesn't need what you're selling. This failure to listen and the pride it it shows, it it makes clear, is evident in the way we speak. We we will not speak honestly because that might make us look bad. We will not speak gently because what do we care of the feelings of, of another person? I'm just doing my job. We will not say a hard thing because it doesn't benefit us. Right? Who Who cares? We will not speak thoughtfully because all of my words are thoughtful words, right? They're all thoughtful. And we will not worry if our words are timely or not because our wisdom is timeless. And our wisdom should be enshrined in books somewhere, right? It exposes this pride in us. And Jesus talks about proud, self-centered people like this as having ears that can barely hear. Eyes that are already closed. Ears that can barely hear. Eyes that are already closed. Psalm 115 says, They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. And I worry, if I'm being very honest, I worry for us, Christ City, that I and you, that we've drunk so deeply of a culture that tells us to build our brand, to not take no for an answer, 
that me and my truths are the greatest things in sliced bread, I worry that when it comes to hearing a correcting word from another believer, when it comes to hearing a correcting word from church leadership, when it comes to hearing the correcting word of the voice of Jesus in the pages of Scripture, when they have something hard to say, timely to say, revealing to say, I worry that without giving it a second thought, we'll turn around and we'll walk away instead. Ah, nah. Either to a Jesus of our own devising who always agrees with me. Isn't that nice when Jesus always agrees with you? Or, or, or away from Jesus altogether. Christ City, we are not to be those people. Hear the words of Proverbs 15, 31 to 33. This is good news. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Or Proverbs 18.13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. There is a voice, we saw this, that we need to stop up our ears to, that we need to be deaf to. But the voice of Jesus experienced in prayer, in the Bible, in the community of his people, is not the one that we're to be deaf to. And that's where I want us to conclude our time today. See, we've painted a picture of what our speech and, and our listening ought to look like. A, an ideal, if you will. An ideal that if we think about for more than one second, I think about it for, for one second, we immediately realize that we cannot obtain this ideal. Our social media accounts, our friends, our marriages, they all are eternally reminding us that our speech is lacking. That we do not speak like this. Solomon did not speak like this in, in, in all of his wisdom. It's an ideal that ultimately comes up against this immovable wall, which is our pride. And nothing repels us more than this idea that someone else has a say about how I should live my life. The, the words I should speak. Nothing is more repulsive to us. Nothing is more repulsive uh, to us than someone saying, this is life and this is death. When it comes to speaking, here's life. And when it comes to listening, here's life. When it comes to speaking, here's death. Listening, here's death. This repulsion and our own unwillingness to listen should tell all of us, all of us, that we've yet to deal with the heart of the matter. That's our third point. When it comes to the words we speak, how do we change? What's the heart of the matter? In Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. When I was growing up, I was told this verse was about like not dating too young. I don't know if you were told that either. I don't think that's what it's about, at least not entirely. If you keep on reading past, past 24, verse 24, you see that Solomon is drawing a connection between what goes on in our hearts and what we say. There's a connection between what goes on in our hearts and the words that we speak. He says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And Solomon continues, Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. The connection between our heart and what we say, what we speak, 
will be made clear by Jesus when he says uh, something similar to, to the religious leaders of his day. He says this, you brood of vipers. How's that for a hard word? You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? And then hear this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And just like we saw last week, how we spend our money and how we spend our words, they both reveal the same thing. They, they show the same thing. They, they show us what we really love, what we really care about. And if we can come full circle to how we began this morning, it, it is true, isn't it? that our external conversations are the fruit of the words spoken in our internal conversations. They're the fruit of our internal dialogue. But it's not enough. It's not enough to simply speak the truths of God to our heart. We need, we need, you need and I need, we need him to first give us a new heart that has ears. A heart that, strange as it might sound, is able to listen. And depending on where you're at today, this should either come to you as a needed reminder or as a good news invitation. If you're a follower of Jesus right now, this is a needed reminder for me and for you. And as a side note, you don't understand how terrible your speech is until you're preaching on speech. And and that whole week you're like, oh no. So to me and to you, here's the reminder. Despite our stubbornness, Jesus has given us ears to hear. He has. He has. You are able to speak the truths of God to yourself and to truly internalize them, to truly hear them, to truly believe that Jesus alone has the words of life. And the call this morning is to simply act in accordance with who you are. Live your life according to the voice who controls your life. Yet we forget, don't we? Christians, we're not, uh, you know, without blood on our hands here. We, we buy into the cultural view that I own what I say. That's me. I, I own what I say. A view of speaking that prizes authenticity, self-expression, sharing our truth. That, that's me. Don't you take that away from me. Listen to how one pastor, uh, Ray Ortland, he describes it. He's writing to Americans. He says this. As Americans, we do have the right of, of free speech. In our political culture, we have the right, if it's a right, nobody can stop us, to blurt out whatever we feel. But when we become Christians, we enter a new culture where we surrender that right. Where we surrender that right. We stop blurting out whatever we feel. Like this is, couldn't be any more contrary to our cultural movement, could it? We stop blurting out whatever we feel. Just because you have a keyboard in front of you doesn't mean someone needs to hear what you're eating for breakfast that morning. We bring our words under the judgment of, of God's word. We are new creations with a new king, with a new standard. Let's speak like it. We are, as my mother made me memorize, to let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Hearts filled with the knowledge of the grace of God in Jesus speak graciously to ourselves and to others. 
Speak the good news of Jesus to ourselves and to other people. This is a needed reminder for me, for you this morning. It's a needed reminder for for all of us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this should come to you as a good news invitation. I want to end, if we can, uh, back with the story of Justine Seiko. Now, let's just be honest. If we think about it, we're not all that different than Justine, are we? Like, we're not that much better. We might not choose to tweet our foolish thoughts. Maybe we don't even have Twitter at all. But if there was a machine connected to my heart that just spoke what I loved, or to my head, spoke the words that I thought, like, we would all have been fired multiple times over. Am I, am, am I wrong here? See, you may not, and we may not have been on the receiving end of Justine's online shaming mob this time. But, but there is coming a day that will put the outrage of the digital mob to shame. Uh, in that conversation with the religious leaders that we quoted a moment ago, Jesus continues to say, And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I just wanted to just sit there for a second. And I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I don't think there is an honest soul in this room who would walk confidently before the judgment seat of God on the basis of what they've spoken. Who wouldn't look at their record and and tremble in despair? Who wouldn't look at their past week, maybe this morning, and tremble in despair? See, the good news invitation this morning, Christ City, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and if you are a follower of Jesus, is that when we believe in Jesus, the Bible says that we get Jesus' obedience credited to us. So the way Jesus perfectly spoke without sin or blemish or stain is counted to me and is counted to you in Christ. The way Jesus perfectly listened without sin or blemish or stain is counted to me and counted to you in Christ. Our words condemn us. They do. But if this morning we trust and, and, and delight in the obedience of Jesus, there is an invitation this morning to have our hearts made new. And two, in this life, begin to bring forth good words out of the good treasure we have in Jesus. That's the hope we have this morning. Would you stand with me as we respond? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.